0: Isaiah chapter 53 and verses 4 and 5, though we'll look not just at these verses, but the chapter as a whole and even ways in which this chapter is spoken of and cited in the New Testament. But verses 4 and 5, Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. These words, even as the Lord's servant is spoken of in this entire chapter, all of it refers to Christ and to his sufferings. The catechism, an orthodox catechism, as it continues to give exposition to the creed and particularly at this point to the person and work of Jesus Christ, we come in question 36 and question 37 to the clause that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. Question 36 asks and answers, what do you believe when you say he suffered? That all the time of his life, which he led on the earth, but especially at the end of it, sustained the wrath of God, both in body and soul, against the sin of all mankind, that he might by his passion, as the only propitiatory sacrifice, deliver our body and soul from everlasting damnation and purchase for us the favor of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Question 37, for what cause should he suffer under Pilate as being his judge? That he being innocent and condemned before a civil judge might deliver us from the severe judgment of God, which remained for all men. Questions 28 through 33 of or 35, excuse me, of the Catechism, no, question 28 through 33, gives to us an exposition of the truth of Scripture regarding the person and office of Christ, the mediator. It tells us who he is, and generally speaking, what it is that he came to do As the one who is true God and true man reconciles God to men and men to God. With question 34 and following, however, we are there in those questions. Begins an exposition of how it is that this unique person of the mediator executes his unique office. We're told who he is and what it is that he was given to do. But now we are told how it is that he accomplishes his calling. And we're told, in short, that he accomplishes his calling, he executes his Unique and particular office of mediator, both in his state of humiliation and his state of exaltation. Questions 34 through 43 give to us an exposition of his state of humiliation and how it is that in this state he performs all of his functions as mediator. And then questions 44 through 51 deal with his state of exaltation and how he fulfills his office in that state. And all of this is following a basic exposition of the Apostles' Creed. Questions 34 and 35, as we've looked at already, draw our attention to the conception and birth, to the Inception, if you will, of Christ's humiliation. His coming into this world in the way in which he did. His incarnation. And now questions 36 and 37 draw attention to the nature and the character of the life to which he was called. The life that he lived as the Incarnate One, and it is distinctly, clearly, particularly a life of suffering. These questions deal with his passion of the suffering that defined and delimited his entire earthly life and ministry, a suffering that culminated, according to divine purpose and promise, in his crucifixion. And in his death. Indeed, we are told here that his was a life of suffering. But it is a life of suffering in which our salvation consists. It is in virtue of his suffering, in virtue of the peculiar and particular nature of his suffering that we are delivered. It is through, we might say, his life of suffering that life, eternal life, is granted to us. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to read the scriptures and to understand something of the historical fact, the basic reality and truth that Christ suffered. We read it through the Old Testament as a matter of promise, even as we read it here in Isaiah chapter 53, that he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows. We saw him as one who was stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. He was one who was wounded, bruised. A certain punishment was heaped upon him. Stripes were his portion and the like. He was put to grief, he was bruised, Indeed, he suffered. And he suffered in body and in soul. Again, we saw him as one whose visage was marred. His appearance was as one who suffered. So Isaiah says in the way of prophecy. And yet we're also told that his soul, verse 11, was marked by travail. By the kind of pain that a woman experiences in childbirth. And all of this which is spoken of in the way of prophecy. Even pouring out his soul unto death. All of this is made perfectly clear in the New Testament. Even in the words of the Lord Jesus as he meets those two men on the road to Emmaus. And reminds them that all of his teaching. And even later in the upper room as he reminds his disciples. That all of the teaching of the law and the prophets and the writings. All of the Old Testament. Spoke of the fact that he must suffer first. And then enter into glory. Luke chapter 24. And so the Apostle's preaching is marked by drawing attention to the sufferings of Christ. Acts chapter 4. Peter there makes mention of the fact that just as Isaiah prophesied, the Lord's servant suffered wicked hands, did what God himself had ordained from eternity to do. They put him to grief, indeed put him to death. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, remarks that all of the prophets of the Old Testament spoke of the Christ who was to come and suffer and then be raised to glory. And later on in that same letter, Peter tells us that it was Jesus Christ who suffered the just for the unjust. There's no question. There's no question that scripture teaches that Christ suffered. That as soon as he entered into this world, his was a life of suffering in the flesh and according to the flesh. His was a life of suffering that culminated in his passion, his sacrifice upon the cross. And Scripture is clear that, yes, this was a suffering that as it culminates in his passion, is a suffering that was in a certain measure to be understood as a suffering under Pontius Pilate. The scriptures, indeed the Old Testament, prophesied that the Savior would suffer at the hands of wicked men, indeed even of the Gentiles. Christ teaches that this has come to pass in his life in Luke chapter eighteen in verses thirty-one through thirty-three, and then as we read in John eighteen, beginning in verse twenty-eight down through chapter nineteen and verse sixteen, we see that Christ and his trial is presided over by Pilate. Yes, there is the sham trial of the religious leaders of his day, the Jewish leaders. And yet, the word of condemnation from a human judge waits for Pilate. And though he is determined to be innocent, Pilate himself acknowledging this, and we'll come to see that that's for good reason, but even though he is acknowledged to be innocent, he is judged there and condemned. but it's not merely an earthly judge that condemns the innocent, suffering Savior. That condemnation, as we'll come to see, is the condemnation of God himself, a judgment rendered against Christ, not because of anything he had done, but a judgment rendered against Christ for our sake. Jesus was wounded not for his own sake, but for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the punishment that peace necessitated fell upon him. And as such, we are healed by his sufferings, healed by his stripes. Jesus suffered. And Jesus suffered under Pilate as if Pilate was the ultimate judge for us. Indeed, he was numbered among the transgressors. To deliver transgressors. We want to notice three particular things regarding the sufferings of Christ. First of all, Christ's sufferings were perfectly whole. According to his humanity, the Lord Jesus Christ suffered for the duration of his entire life And that suffering culminated in a final week in which his sufferings are concentrated and they grow narrower and narrower as they focus ultimately upon his crucifixion and death. But the basic point is that in body and soul, throughout the whole of his life, Jesus suffered. He suffered in soul. He says, indeed, in the garden, as he drops sweat, or drops blood as if it were sweat, he says in his prayer, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. He cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here is sorrow of soul. Suffering of soul. And yet it's quite obvious that as he is crucified upon the cross, he suffers bodily. Even prior to that, as he is tried, he is scourged and beaten, he suffers bodily. He hungered and he thirsted throughout his life. This too was a form of Suffering. Jesus suffered for the duration of his life. Body and soul. According to his humanity. But suffered. Ultimately. As he came. To the cross. And as he bore the sins. Of his people. Ursinus in his exposition of. The Heidelberg Catechism, which, remember, an Orthodox catechism is a Baptist version of it, points out that Christ suffered in, he has seven ways. The first is the privation or destitution of the highest felicity and joy, together with all those good things which he might have enjoyed. Certain temporal blessings that belong to this life. But more than that, certain blessings such as joy, he was, those things were denied him. He suffered, secondly, all the infirmities of our nature, sin only accepted, hunger, thirst, weariness, and the like. Sadness And grief. Remember when Lazarus died. Jesus wept. He experienced as well. He suffered. Thirdly, Ursinus says, extreme want and poverty. He cites Matthew 8 and verse 20. The son of man hath not where to lay his head. Fourthly, he suffered infinite injuries, reproaches, calumnies treacheries envying slander's blasphemies rejections and contempt even in isaiah 53 in verse 2 we're told that when we see him there's no kind of beauty in him that we should desire and in verse 4 we see him as one who is stricken smitten of god afflicted 5 Jesus suffered the temptations of the devil. We know this from him upon his baptism, being carried straightway into the wilderness, tempted there, tempted like us, yet without sin. Hebrews 4 and verse 5. And then 6, he suffered a most reproachful and accursed death, the death of the cross. Seventhly, Ursinus points out, the keenest, he suffered in terms, these terms, the keenest and most bitter anguish of soul, which is a doubtless a sense of the wrath of God against the sins of the whole human race. It was this, says Ursinus, that caused him to exclaim upon the cross with a loud voice, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As if he should say, Why dost thou not drive away from me such severe anguish and torments? Here we have a full picture of the perfection of Christ's sufferings. They were perfectly whole. Everything that belongs to suffering belonged to him. And yet he suffers in our flesh. Without sin, and thus suffered not for his own sake, but for ours. His suffering is perfectly whole, then. It pertains to the entire course of his life and finds its culmination in his death upon the cross. His suffering is according to his humanity, that is, in body and in soul. But secondly, we want to notice that not only is his suffering perfectly whole, but his sufferings were perfectly vicarious. Perfectly full of purpose. That is, for our sakes. Isaiah 53. What griefs does he bear? Verse 4. Ours. What sorrows does he carry? ours stricken smitten of God and afflicted is what we esteem him as but yet he is stricken smitten of God and afflicted for our sakes because he was wounded not for any transgressions of his own as if he had any but for our transgressions bruised not for any iniquities that he had as if he could but for ours the punishment whereby peace is gained is placed upon him, but it is our peace that he gains. He bears stripes, but they are healing for us. Later on, in the same chapter, he is bruised, he's put to grief. He makes his soul an offering for sin and the like. But why? Because it was the pleasure of the Lord. And it is in this way that the pleasure of the Lord prospers in His hand. To bring this all together, His sufferings, His sufferings are the purpose of God. His sufferings are the plan of God. Whereby, satisfaction is made for our sin. That is, it is through his sufferings that satisfaction is made. Satisfaction of divine justice, penalty due unto sin. That penalty is borne by Christ in an entire life of suffering. Indeed, suffering unto death. And in virtue then of that suffering and death, in virtue of His making satisfaction by His suffering, He delivers us. He purchases for us the favor of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Jesus dies the just for the unjust. Him who knew no sin, Paul tells us, was made to be sin. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wounded for our transgressions, the prophet says. He suffers, and his suffering is for us. And again, this is the plan and the purpose of God. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. Indeed, suffering is attributed, or the, the, uh, the ground of this suffering and the cause of this suffering is attributed to the servant himself. He makes his soul an offering for sin. Verse 10. He poured out his soul unto death. Verse this is no cosmic accident this is the will of God it is the will of God that the son who came into this world that his own son would not only take to himself our flesh but would suffer in the flesh in order to redeem us. And all of this shows, manifests, God's love. Why does he suffer vicariously? God, so love the world that he gave his only begotten son. The mercy and the kindness of God appears in the suffering servant of the Lord, precisely because this suffering is not for his own sake, but for ours. And if he has suffered even unto death for us, what will God withhold from us? His sufferings were perfectly vicarious. That is, they were for us, in our place. Indeed, the penalty that we incurred by our sin, the penalty that justly deserves the wrath of God against us, is borne by Him. You see, the sorrows and the grief that... The prophet speaks of this sorrow and grief, this being stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, this wounding and bruising is not an arbitrary punishment, but it is in fact what God had said to Adam. That upon his sin, he would surely die. And God keeps His word. But He keeps it not by bruising us, not by crushing us, but by bruising and crushing His Son, who, in doing so, crushes the head of the serpent. Destroys the devil and all of his works, defeats death, and gains salvation for us. Indeed, we might say, in short, that by his whole passion we are saved. But what of suffering under Pilate? Well, not only then do we need to recognize that his sufferings were completely whole, perfectly whole. His sufferings were perfectly and completely vicarious, secondly. But but thirdly and finally, his sufferings were perfectly just and merciful. As we read the account of our Lord's trial of his condemnation, ultimately by Pilate, we are struck by several things, not the least of which is, fact, is the fact that Pilate judges him not because he is truly guilty, not because any guilt has been truly discovered, but merely because it was the whim those who had brought him, brought the Lord Jesus to his court. Pilate himself even says, judges the Lord Jesus to be innocent and yet pronounces the sentence of judgment upon him and consigns him to death. Why? Again, is this some kind of cosmic accident Some kind of grave injustice committed against the Lord Jesus? Well, in one sense, yes. Because, as the scriptures teach us, it was wicked men who took him and sought to put him to death so as to destroy him. And for such wickedness, those men were guilty. But in Ultimately, this is no accident. Ultimately, this is no grave injustice done to the Lord Jesus, but here is the enactment of divine justice. How do we know that? Because earthly judges are appointed by God. Earthly judges are appointed by God. And when Pilate judged Jesus to be guilty, even though he was truly innocent, there is the judgment of God. Guilty because of men, innocent before God. Guilty because of men, not only because of the men who sought to destroy him, but guilty because of men, because we were the ones who sinned, and Jesus came to suffer for our sakes. And that suffering, by which he makes satisfaction for sin, entails that the punishment due to us falls upon him. He is the just suffering for the unjust. Innocent truly before God, but condemned before an earthly judge who is pronouncing a heavenly sentence. Here we see A public condemnation by an earthly judge. Which speaks to his vicarious condemnation by the eternal judge of all the earth. God, according to his justice, says through Pilate, let this man die. and Jesus then bears the punishment that is justly ours he bears that punishment in a just manner doing nothing untoward in it sinning not himself in bearing that punishment and thus his punishment his suffering is towards us a mercy. Justice and mercy meet together in Jesus Christ. For what cause should he suffer under Pilate as being his judge as if Pilate was his ultimate judge? The catechism answers that he being innocent and condemned before a civil judge might deliver us from the severe judgment of God which remained for all men. In Pilate sentencing him to death there is the deliverance for us from the wrath of God against our sin. The punishment by which peace is secured, is a punishment that according to divine justice falls upon Him, so that by the stripes that are placed upon Him, we, according to divine mercy, are healed. It pleased the Lord, it was the perfect and just will of God, to bruise Him, to put Him to grief. It was just for Him to make His soul an offering for sin, so that... so that the merciful pleasure of the Lord would prosper in his hand. And that even as he would see the travail of his soul and be satisfied, he would, as the righteous servant, justify many. To him, and upon him justice fell, so that mercy would be Our portion. Jesus suffered for us. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was pronounced condemned, even though he was innocent, precisely because one who was innocent. And one who alone was innocent could bear that punishment and condemnation. And so secure for us freedom and deliverance from damnation. And freedom and deliverance unto eternal life. Jesus suffers the suffering we deserved justly. And so by Jesus, we are mercifully delivered, restored to God, made right with Him, and blessed with every mercy. The Psalms that we sang, Psalm 35, Psalm 69, these are but two Psalms that speak of the unjust Dealings of men against the Lord's anointed. These are words about Jesus. These are the words of Jesus himself. Jesus himself says they treat me unjustly. And he pleads with God for deliverance. And He pleads with God for deliverance because he knows that while men deal with him unjustly. His own father in heaven deals with him justly. And even then as Jesus poured out his soul into death. Even as Jesus suffered unto death. He did so according to divine justice. To make satisfaction of divine justice. And so pour out upon us the spoils of his victory. pour out upon us peace and salvation. Jesus poured out his soul unto death, was numbered among the transgressors, or with the transgressors, verse 12. Yet in doing so, he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. The curse of divine justice fell upon him so that the blessing of divine mercy would undoubtedly be ours.